slime water. Choose your own adventure. Mahalo. Oh, mahalo. Welcome to the Slime Wire Podcast, episode 2820, baby. We're back. 2820. 2820. It's 800 years in the future. The, the, the president is a reality uh, TV star. Um, I'm yes. living on the, on the 400th floor of a high rise in Antarctica. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the weather is balmy. Pine trees or palm trees are everywhere. Shit is lit. We've been looking forward to 2820. I feel like this is going to be our biggest episode yet. 2820 is stacked, buddy. We got stacks. We got mad stacks. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of shit on the docket. Um, where yeah. do you want to start? I, I sort of want to start because you referenced earlier as we were texting that you, you've been experiencing some waking nightmares, and that's that's very vaporwave. I'd like to hear more about that. Oh, yeah, I got some cool, I got some, like, fun vaporwave nightmares, um, music-related things. And you said they were waking, waking <laughs> nightmares? What, what does that entail? Uh, it, well, it's not, it, it's a little bit less uh, interesting than it seems. It was like a nightmare which was so vivid and intense that, it, it, to my mind, I was completely awake, and it was, like, my brain successfully, you've probably had, you've probably had a dream like this before where, like, you completely think it's real. Uh, I don't want to, like, I don't like to be the guy that talks about their dreams, you know, so I'm going to keep this very short and succinct, but... Suffice it to say, um, I had just come back from a like transgressive trip to Nara, or because I risk infecting my like pure, saintly, innocent townsfolk who haven't been infected, blah, blah, blah. But I only got like three hours of sleep. I had to ride various public transportation systems for a total of like eight hours to get back to my house. And then I went to eat dinner, socially distanced dinner with some of my students. So I was like on three hours of sleep. I was, oh God, I was so, so tired. And then um, I, when, I get, when I got back home, I fell asleep for like about an hour. Just I was still like wide awake by two because I had slept. Okay, so that's all just boring backstory. It doesn't matter. Um, basically, all, like what happened was I like, I was like in my bed. I was trying to get to sleep. And then I like opened my eyes and I saw there was a cockroach on my floor trying to like get away, which is a very common thing in Japan. We have giant fucking cockroaches everywhere. And you have to kill them all the time. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll go get my poison. My poison is downstairs in my like closet by my uh, door. So I like went, started going down my stairs and I noticed like, oh, there's like a lot of spider webs. And like I saw some other little bugs skittering across the floor. I was like, shit, there's a lot of bugs in my house. But my lights were still turned off because my light switch is at the bottom of my stairs. So, like, I got down and, like, turned on my light switch and I just saw, like, my fucking entire house was just infested with bugs. With, like, giant fucking spiders and insects. And I had, like, spider webs all over me and there were, like, spiders crawling all over me. That's terrifying. Uh, And I was like, oh, yeah. So I went to get my poison and just, like, desperately try to, like, poison all of the creatures that were surrounding me. And I was like, oh, my God. I can't, like, there, there's too many of them. I got to get out of here. And so I, like, was going to leave my house. Um, and, and so I opened the curtain to my, like, I have, like, a window that doubles as, like, a sliding screen door. <coughs> yeah. It's out to my porch. Uh, so I, like, opened the curtains, and there were, like, these giant fucking bats just covering my house. Like, and I was like, oh, God, I can't escape. I can't escape. I can't get anywhere. And, um, yeah. And then I, like, woke up in my bed and i was completely startled i was like i i thought that shit was a hundred percent real um because it was like completely realistic 
in every way up until the like my my house being infested with insects it was like i was really awake it was terrifying yeah terrifying lucid nightmare yeah i'm no stranger to to the night terrors uh myself um yeah yeah my, my sleep schedule's fucked i often like wake up multiple times in the night and, like i don't get very good sleep and then in the morning i'll try and sleep a lot and so like yeah. it's like constantly waking up and going back to sleep and then it puts you in the weird sure. like REM cycle where you have like insane yeah. dreams and shit. I'm always yeah, afraid yeah, yeah. of like sleep paralysis. So I'll be like, you know, late, slightly falling asleep and then realize I can't move my arms and like freak out and like force myself to wake up. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sleeping is, yeah, sleep. sleep is scary, man. You, you don't want to go to sleep. You want to stay awake at, at all times of the day. Um, as Absolutely. much as possible. Constant, constant vigilance is the name of the uh, day. Uh, you can never sleep sleeping is a yeah a frightening ordeal and like labor to me it's just as bad as working yeah sleep is not Uh, for the weak sleep is for the strong you know you have to you have to be a strong (laughs) man to be able to just sleep whenever you want (laughs) yeah you're absolutely right um yeah the night terrors uh sleep paralysis is something i am intimately acquainted with this is the first time in a long time that i have had like any kind of serious crazy fucking dreams like this like when i first got here i kind of had some and then they stopped and i think it's because i stopped smoking weed and i also stopped drinking and smoking cigarettes so like my brain was finally at peace yeah you're getting that under a long time sleep you're getting that real uh, but shit. then i yeah yeah i, I, I was sleeping i was actually cutting your sleep you know? with a drug it's like when i think i'm pretty sure when you get drunk exactly exactly i'm getting that raw shit um, yeah, I'm pretty sure when you like, when you smoke weed and like drink, your body doesn't get like REM sleep. So you're just kind of like taking a nap for your entire life. As you know, what oh, yeah. I was doing for the last, you know, six years of my life. So, um, yeah, so like, I was getting really good sleep. This was, it was a lot of stress because I like, another, so also in the news, uh, what's new with me is I took a clandestine, clandestine trip to Nara Prefecture, okay. uh, which is the oldest one of the oldest places in Japan is the original uh, site of the capital of Japan. Has a bunch of cool shit in it. Um, but, you know, I've been, like, basically on house arrest for the last five months. And I only go to work and go home. And all the people I work with only speak Japanese. And everybody around me only speaks Japanese. So, in addition to the isolation of, like, living in Japan, there's also the isolation of coronavirus. I can't leave. I never see anybody. All of the events have been canceled. So I was just like, fuck, dude, I got to risk going out of the prefecture. I got to fucking go somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, I went for four days to Nara. Um, nice. And to get to Nara, you have to go through, you got to go through Osaka, which is like the second most infected area. So I was like on a train in Osaka. So there's like, you know, still a chance I could be infected with coronavirus um, and spread it to all of the villages in my town. So, yeah, I think I was kind of stressed out because of that. Only got three hours of sleep. Was just a tired little boy, and then I got home, fell asleep, and had extreme night terrors. Yeah, yeah I'm at constant. Oh yeah, my other music related news. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm at constant uh, threats of being uh, fucking infected with coronavirus because at my new place, I take the max home, and n- nobody on the max is wearing masks, and there there are no windows. It's uh, it's, it's pretty fucked. Um, but oh yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, like feeling good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. People that wear people that take public transportation in Portland, if uh, to any of our listeners who don't know, they don't wear masks. They no. hardly can wear clothes properly. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they're not holding out jobs. They haven't even fucking heard about coronavirus. They don't own a television. 
they live out there on the streets. Like, you know, they're not yeah. getting they're not getting CDC health updates. I have seen like um, real, real yeah. old crazy yeah. men like riding the bus with literal Walkmans, just using it to listen to the radio. You know, that's how insane it gets. <laughs> but um, anyway, whatever. We, yeah. we got a lot of stuff on on uh, the docket. Um, yeah, I fully expect this episode to careen into the three hour, four hour territory. Yeah, let's, uh, and let's try and keep the fight, but who knows? Um, I yeah. wanted to give a bit of a live protest update from Portland, Oregon, to, to start yeah, things off. So first off, I, this is a thing I'm only going to touch on because I don't really know much about it. But last week there was a dude who got like, who, who got beat the fuck up by like some protesters and he was, they literally like knocked him on the ground and like kicked his fucking head in. There's like a video, yeah. there's like blood coming out of his head. Have you seen this yeah. video? It's like super fun. I've, I've seen this, I've heard about this. Uh, yeah, it's super fucked up. Well, the thing that like yeah. is weird to me is that none of this makes sense because there's two videos from that night. And the first video is, is there's a bunch of people and they're robbing this trans girl. They're stealing her backpack and her longboard yeah. and she's just in hysterics and this guy is is trying to break up the fight right and yeah. then in the second video it's the same guy but he ha- he was in a truck and he crashed it into like a pole people had pulled him out of the truck and they're you know they're surrounding him screaming at him that's and after that they you know kick his head in and steal everything yeah. out of his truck and shit and yeah. so but the guy like he's fine now he has two black eyes he's come out of it and uh he's yeah. He says that the people that attacked him weren't Black Lives Matter protesters. Really? And that he has, in fact, marched with Black Lives Matter protesters. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of the thing that I like. I read about this story uh, too, and so I heard that like he was he had that girl in tow with him in that truck and was trying to get like get her to safety and shit. And then he crashed. And what I heard was that. And th- again, this is like when I read the story, it was like. This, the news story that I was reading was like, it has been reported or people, it was all hearsay, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so the, uh, I guess like a bunch of those rioters had heard that there was a guy in a truck trying to run over like protesters. Um, and so he basically, they mistook him for this dude in the truck. Uh, so yeah, they kind of fucked up there. If, that, if that's true, I don't really know if it's true. But then um, another thing ha- with people found his Facebook page and apparently this dude has been posting like alt-right memes on his Facebook. So it's, huh. I don't know, it's just none of this makes sense. Like if he was like an alt-right guy, why would he say that it wasn't Black Lives Matter protesters that attacked him? Wouldn't he want that to be the narrative? I just don't understand it at all. Well, I don't know, I don't know what's yeah. going on. Can't make heads or tails of it. Yeah, yeah. we just got to find out what's going on. So I just yeah, wanted just to put that out there because I don't know. Yeah, that's a scary story. But the yeah. more interesting thing and the more recent thing was on Saturday, um, there was a big counter protest where a bunch of like MAGA dudes, it was a coalition formed of uh, Patriot Prayer members, uh, yeah. Proud Boys, and also uh, QAnon people. They, really? Uh, yeah. So they all joined forces like Voltron <laughs> and um, showed up at the Justice Center and people knew yeah. that they were coming, but yeah, to defend the Justice Center. And then of course they were met, met with extreme opposition from Black Lives Matter protesters and police yeah. largely stayed out of this event completely. And it sort of devolved into like an all out brawl really where people were like <laughs> shooting each other with paintball guns, throwing rocks at each other, macing each other. This happened on a day where I was particularly ill. I had called out of work. I was between 
my bed in the bathroom the whole day, just locked into my phone, watching uh, live streams of like crazy shit. Um, there was a guy named, <laughs> yeah, there was a guy named Alan Sweeney, who is a Proud Boys member who like he pulled out a gun and loaded it and waved it around. And it's, uh, there were a lot of videos of that particular guy sort of like when you think of like Proud Boys, you think of like a, a small, like sort of nerdy guy in like khakis or whatever. But this is like yeah. a big, burly, like white bearded man, white beard, yeah. like white skin and white beard. Uh, a Nordic man, a yeah, blonde old, beast. Older guy um, yeah. from Texas, I guess. And okay. he, was, he was sort of waving his mace can around being like, this ends today. You know, we're <laughs> all going to get maced. We're ending this shit right here. Yeah. Yeah. And um, from what I can gather, I feel like the, this group of people thought that they were going to stand and be peaceful and that the violent anarchist Black Lives Matter protesters were going to, you know. Descend on them. Yeah, yeah. be violent. And, and then they were, the police were going to come in and protect them. And yeah. the, the idea was that the police who, the, the Portland police and many police organizations throughout the country are secretly uh, white supremacists, most of sure. them. And sure. so, yeah. like, their idea is like, okay, these guys are finally going to come out and just be unabashedly white supremacists with us and take down sure, all sure. these Black Lives Matter protesters. And yeah. it, uh, it didn't happen. And they got beat the fuck up and chased the fuck out of downtown. And it was really surreal watching, like, so this happened at the Justice Center. They all parked in, like, southwest Portland. And so I'm yeah. watching these live streams. And these are streets that I know very well. Like, I used yeah. to live right by there when I, like, first moved to Portland. That's where Occupy Portland first happened. Like, I know all of these landmarks and shit. And so it's really yeah. surreal watching, like, hundreds of people screaming at each other, you know, right next to St. Mary's Academy or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, all of those places you just listed. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that, so that's like all... At this point, I feel like the uh, optics of the, like, violent insurrectionists, uh, like the anarchists, you know, are... Uh, it's going to... It's starting to be very... Like, I feel like people need to be careful, you know? Yeah. Um, just because, like, yeah, any of those things really drives the point home of, like, shit, like like America's watching all this and like if you do something wrong like say if you beat up a guy in a truck trying to help a trans girl you're going to give like Charlie Kirk some fodder to be like we'll see these guys are just a bunch of thugs you know so uh I feel like yeah I don't know I don't really know I mean, I mean people have to be careful but uh what I really took from this is that like a couple episodes ago you know you were saying Donald Trump is gonna win and I was like yeah I don't know Maybe Joe Biden's yeah. going to win. Uh, I've come full circle. Donald Trump, I'm 100% sure got, that he's going to fucking yeah. win. Like, yeah. And the reason for it is that, like, you have these fucking, like, obvious moronic monsters, like, going around with guns trying to, like, uphold his legacy. And, like, yeah. meanwhile, the Democratic Party is completely fucked and split. I don't know if you've watched anything from the DNC, which watched, happened, like, the last couple of days. Yeah, I watched a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so what I got from that is, like, what like every sort of promise that they're making is like a promise of opportunity like they're not going to budge on medicare for all they're not going to yeah. budge on like ubi or like reforming oh, no. the police department or anything yeah. and the, the rhetoric that they're giving is that it's all up to you the voter like you have to vote for us in order yeah. to even put these things into conversation like they're yeah. not they're not giving you anything at all and that's turned like the whole like when Joe Biden picked fucking former Attorney General Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who is like arguably more conservative than Donald Trump on like a lot of issues, including yeah. prisons, including gay marriage. Like, yeah, 
Like, we, yeah, people she's should like have been classical conservative. Yeah, it's fucked. People should have been up his fucking throat. But for some yeah. reason, the, the, the like arguments now is like, oh, well, that doesn't matter because we have Trump in the White House and we have to beat him. And so yeah. all of the responsibility is being pushed onto the individual that it's all about you. It's all about your vote. Yeah. It's all about you making it so that you can talk about these issues in the future. And there's no reason for anybody to give a shit about that at all. You know? Yeah. No. So it's just pushing yeah, more people totally. to stay home. Like, I don't, like, I'm not going to fucking vote. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm writing in Bernie Sanders. Uh, you can vote online. There's a, if you go onto like the Oregon Live page, uh, uh-huh. it'll be like, hey, uh, you can't do mail-in voting, but you can vote online. Um, so that's another thing. Vote online like, in the state of Oregon. That's the other thing is that <laughs> yeah, Trump is yeah. blatantly trying it's... to disband the postal service, and nobody cares. Like everybody <laughs> yeah. is sharing the like. Yeah, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, everybody's sharing the sh- the shitty like entry-level graphic design posts on Instagram about it, but nobody's yeah. like he, he's literally just going to disband the postal service, and we're all just going to sit back and watch it happen. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the like from what I saw of the Democratic National Conventions, it was all about selling. Biden as like a like he's he's a good guy like he's a good dude you know yeah. he's a good guy there's already like listicles that are talking about like what would Kamala Harris be like as a leader and it says leader because it, like the the idea the sort of like general idea is Joe Biden is just a fucking like he's just gonna sit around and Kamala Harris is gonna do everything for him if he well the idea um, is that he's gonna so, die yeah, like there I mean He's gonna die. Yeah, Kamala Harris is going to be <laughs> yeah. the president. Yeah, gonna be fathered in to the presidency. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they've basically conceded absolutely like no fucking ground to anybody left of center that they said they were going to concede ground to. Um, they have brought in uh, Republican governors to like try to appeal to centrists and like other conservatives that are like on the fence about Donald Trump like you know like uh John Kasich yeah and spoke that's at the Democratic centrist, National Convention and centrist Republicans are a smaller voting bracket than progressive Democrats yeah oh absolutely yeah and a dying one at that um yeah so I think it, yeah so that also shows like there's no fucking thought of like anything beyond the next four years in any of these election cycles just like in the general economy there's no thought of anything before like anything beyond the next year's profits for shareholders like if the if either the democratic party or the conservative party had any interest in the long-term like uh solvency of the united states they would be trying to appeal to young voters they don't give a shit because they know that the like old voters you know they vote more even though they're going to die in a couple years uh they take them because it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter getting the citizens like getting young citizens to vote really doesn't fucking matter at all. Yeah. Um, because we don't care about their like the future in any way. Uh, and like the whole John Kasich vote, like speaking at the democratic national convention is really just to me a sign that like the, what conservatives and centralist centrist Democrats really, whether they like, whether central centrist Democrats know it or not, they are in a process of moving like you know the overton window and shit to the right and it's totally working um so now the conversation is between like fucking like like in 10 years the the left wing quote-unquote party like the democratic party is going to be like the 
like George Bush type policies. Oh, and the right wing party will be like right of Donald Trump policy policies. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just what's going to happen with the, the like Republican Party is that they're going to really transform into like the Nazi party's like obsession with like occultism, but it'll be obsession yeah. with like QAnon type conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to ask, did you watch the uh, did you watch anything from the uh, Republican National Convention today? Uh, I caught a little bit of um, Donald Trump's son's speech, and it was funny because he was just pretending to be his dad. But that's all yeah. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was like I watched <laughs> I watched fucking Charlie Kirk's like speech, uh, and it was fucking just insane to me because I remember being like 21 and Charlie Kirk becoming like starting to be like a thing, and his whole I don't know the name of uh, the of the like conservative youth outreach program that he runs. Uh, and you know, you know, Charlie Kirk is the guy with the small face, right? We're on the I same don't, page here. I don't know who that he is. No, I'm sorry. No, you, if you look up Charlie Kirk right now, you'll know who it is. All right, here, let me look him up. Like, yeah. 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 So he, he's that guy who's the meme, who's everybody makes his face look small. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he's yeah, a YouTuber. So he's, told, he's a YouTuber yeah. and he was speaking at the... Oh my God. He's not exactly funny. a YouTuber, but he is like just right in that wheelhouse of like 2014 dawn of the alt-right, like... like oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking edgelord bullshit. And, uh, and I remember thinking at that time, it would be such a like darkly comedic dystopian alternative reality if in 10 to 20 years in the future, this version of Republicanism was like the dominant one. Like weird, what at the time I thought was just strange, gross, 4chan, basement dweller bullshit uh, became like the face of the Republican party. And like, here it is, it's fucking Charlie Kirk addressing the entire nation. Yeah, they had uh, some he crazy- He called Donald Trump the, uh... go ahead, go ahead. Or, no, what do you call Donald Trump? Oh, he called Donald Trump the, uh, the bodyguard of Western civilization. Oh my God. And it's just like, fuck dude. Like, and there's like been so much like it, like this whole, that whole idea of like Western civilization and the Romans, and we have to read Epictetus and we must listen to classical music is like, like there were like old waspy conservatives that like, you know, they believe that they pay lip service to it, but they don't really give a shit about that. They just yeah. wanted to like reduce the national debt and like don't give a shit about client you know they just basically wanted to reduce the national debt and like have an emphasis on family values uh which you know is of course yeah, um they're only saying this like bad in like a lot trying, of ways but it's like they're they're saying this bullshit because they're trying ahead. to court the evangelical ticket you know yeah 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 and now they're yeah. saying even in more insane bullshit because they're trying to court this conspiracy theory ticket like yeah this, this four-hour youtube yes absolutely absolutely like that is where it's fucking going so when you talk about like yeah like the republican party starting to think about like not not occultism but like weird conspiracy theory type shit that's like the form that it's taking like this worship of like western civilization as this like spiritual legacy that we have to uphold and like blah 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 blah. i mean it's basically nazism uh more or less uh and like that, just the fact that that's like emphasized and that's like front and center now to me is like, I just feel like it's fucking like it's over, man. Like, the, oh, it's all. The, like, what, 
what is the no, moment? What when did it change? Like, I remember in like early like 2010s, like the YouTube conspiracy scene was that movie fucking yeah. Zeitgeist, right? Which yeah, is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's an, it's an anti-capitalist fucking anti-religious true, thing. True, true. And like, yeah. when did it change into like the opposite of that? Yeah. What happened to the Zeitgeist heads? Like. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That I mean, I think those like those people can be influenced either way really like it's not really so much about like capitalism as it was about like a secret cabal of people that presides over the all of the uh political decisions that we think that we make democratically really it's like a bunch of people just like uh twiddling their fingers and like like pulling out their mustaches and being like okay <laughs> we're a bunch of jews and we're going to control the world haha <laughs> um, yeah but like yeah, I don't know. I don't really know when that changed. I I think probably just like the the kind of spaces where those guys moved, like these message boards, you know, probably just got flooded by 4chan dudes. Yeah. And they got kind of overtaken, but the 4chan guys picked up their the remnants, the relics of their uh of their of what they were doing and kind of ran with it. Um but yeah, like that combination of like like a a, it's a, a spiritual level of reverence for Western civilization. I think Jordan Peterson is like a great example of, he's like, well, like, I don't believe, like, I, I believe in God, but I don't believe in God the same way you believe in God, because God is like a, like a, like a force that has been come, going through us uh, for centuries and like yeah. all this shit. What do you um, think about that? What do you think about Western civilization? What do you think about that? It's hard to do <laughs> yeah. these ways. No, no, it really is. Sorry, I tried. To, I went into like a British accent there. Uh, we can doctor that in post. What do you um, think about that? And yeah, oh, what do you think? <laughs> no, he's, no, that's not it at all. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, his, that that specifically, like, he talks a lot about like, oh well, like, you say you don't believe in God, but like, what they, what like people actually meant by God and the Christian legacy is like logos, uh, and logos is like like what even is spirituality it just means logos but logos is actually like a spiritual thing but it really is very nazi-esque like that idea that there's yeah. like a spiritual destiny of uh western civilization um and i think it's uh yeah it's in full force like you should like watch some of that republican convention shit and you'll be like to me that uh the whole electing joe biden uh thing like i am you know, just middle class enough to be like, yeah, dude, we just got to fucking elect Joe Biden because if we don't, <laughs> it's not going to be like, it's going to be no good. It's going to be no fucking good for anybody. If we got four more years of this shit, it's going to be really, really bad. Well, so, like, we're in for a wild ride. Yeah. So this is, yeah, yeah. This is, either way, we're in for a wild ride. Yeah. This is what I wanted to take home with talking about the like the MAGA uh, BLM brawl is like, yeah. say, say that Joe Biden does win the election. Um, and yeah. there's loads of people that are like worried that uh, Donald Trump is gonna like refuse to leave or something, and that like all of his MAGA drones are gonna like take out their their guns and like storm government buildings or something. Um, yeah, I would say all you have to do is watch videos of what happened in Portland, and uh, that's that's not going to happen. These people are pussies. Like these people are yeah. truly yeah. like reprehensible. Truly like weak. Yeah. yeah, like one firework gets thrown at them and they like destroy their entire like, front line 
Yeah. And a lot yeah. of them are like morbidly obese fucking boomers. <laughs> Imagine being the right wing, like 4chan nerd that like is like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm finally going to show up and we're finally going to do something about this. And you get yeah. there and it's just a bunch of like 50 year old fucking dudes with like barbecue sauce <laughs> smeared on their shirts. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, we're finally going to get them. We're going to get them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Did you hear that I Richard Spencer like... endorsed Joe Biden? No, I didn't. That's crazy. Yeah, Richard Spencer is on the Biden train now. Uh, for yeah, those who don't know, he's a no, he's a Nazi. He's a known Nazi. Yeah, yeah, he's a literal Nazi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> White supremacist. He yeah. said that he said that the liberals are obviously more competent people. That that was his reasoning. <laughs> oh yeah, they're obviously like Uber mentioned. Uh, they're more powerful and like have higher IQs, so they deserve to reproduce and lead the white race forward. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, just on that note of like forty-year-old fucking like dumbass uh mega people like i feel like there is like a big difference between like dudes that get radicalized on 4chan who want to go to this protest mainly because they want to beat the shit out of somebody like that's that's really what they want to do they're not like going to be like i'm gonna save western civilization they just want to like they want to be super fucking tough they want to be men right yeah. um and then they're, you're facing off against they're mad people at the, who are uh, like they're hold up they're mad at the um blue-haired girl that didn't fuck them exactly so they, they want to beat up the dude that did fuck the blue-haired girl yeah, yeah 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 but like the problem with that is like that dude is like a fucking gutter punk who's lived in portland since 1993 and got like has been in multiple knife fights and he only like became politically active when he was in when he was like 35 and somebody took him off the street and like gave him like food and shelter and uh he became like a super left-wing guy like that guy's actually like has some reason beyond just proving himself to be a man to like fight, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't really think that, yeah, I don't really think that like 4chan dudes, basement dwelling 4chan dudes that have something to prove to themselves, yeah, like they're not serious about that shit, you know? Well, I think that thing, happens. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, the other thing is that the people that are like, like it's like all these dudes, they thought that if they just threatened to mace these dudes, that they would just like walk away. And it's like, these people have been fighting the Portland police for months, like getting tear gas every night. They're not afraid of getting maced. Yeah, like maced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, these guys throw rocks at cops' heads. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're badass. Yeah, not. you're not like. Yeah, you're not helping. <laughs> you're not helping the cops. You're you're not stronger than any cop. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, there's there's is that on both sides. Like, I remember my um, <clears throat> I had some friends in college just some people that i knew in like one of my classes that when the uh dakota access pipeline happened they oh, yeah. were like they're like we're gonna go defend the native land the native americans in the dakota access pipeline we're gonna prevent it from getting we're gonna go join the fight we're gonna help everybody we're gonna save everybody and then like they went down there for a weekend and then i went back and like i asked them what happened and they're like yeah we wish we'd just like send money to them because like they just oh yeah you were telling me about this like, yeah yeah, yeah. They just, they just had them on, like, trash pickup duty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, of course. Like, it's, of course. You're fucking, like, you're 21 and you're very frail. Like, you can't <laughs> help, <laughs> like, this fucking Native American guy who has, like, body armor and yeah. has been maced every, yeah, been maced every night uh, for 25 years. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, like, that shit happens on both sides. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's looking pretty dire. I'm not. I'm not about problems sharing. Like I basically agree with all. You know, I'm. 
uh, very far left. Uh, but like, I'm not optimistic. <laughs> I'm not optimistic about the future. No, I'm anyway. not at all. I'm not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Not optimistic but, um, about the present. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, not well, optimistic about the past. Well, I feel like that's our politics still for now. Yeah, so. that'll take it. But um, so we have the, the beginnings of a brand new, a brand new segment. Yeah, uh, we've got a new segment for you, people. I, I've been, ca- I'm calling it Theory Time with E.K. Man Sensei. <laughs> <laughs> Class is in session. This is truly E-K-Man your, Sensei. this is your segment. This is your time to take the reins. Okay. Um, so yeah, you can just do whatever you'd like to do. All right, well, morning. Well, I do expect you to be engaged. I, I am engaged, uh, yes. Oh, I see you're pulling think. out the book. You're all ready. I got, this is my Amazon Kindle and I have like three oh, things okay. pulled up on it. So you're going to have to be like, I'm going to like try to find things in this and there's going to be long pauses as I try to find shit. I also have a little notebook with things written down and I need to pull up the fucking like uh, online convo that we had. Oh yeah. Just I'll so pull it up too. I can have all my shit together. But do you want to talk about, yeah. like, give a slight uh, introduction to what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to like introduce and like just like say what we were thinking because it sort of I feel like it started as one thing and went to a whole different thing, and uh, yeah, so like we were we had been talking about uh, making a a hard vapor special episode to reflect the dire political times that we find ourselves in. And it was the idea uh, was that was going to be the twenty eight twenty episode because what a better episode to discuss our horrible situation. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so this was gonna, it was gonna be a special, and my, like, my, I thought that that was going to be a full-on episode where we just talk about, like, how Hard Vapor is the perfect uh, aesthetic representation of the political chaos of the 20th century, and uh, all this stuff, but then it blossomed into, like, we were gonna read Babbling Corpse, the book by Mark Tanner? Grafton, Grafton Tanner, I think. Grafton Tanner, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Grafton Tanner. Okay, yeah, it is. No, it is his name. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, so we were going to read that, and we were just going to, yeah, talk about a little bit of the uh, philosophical aspects behind Vaporwave and how it relates to uh, our fraught political times. And um, so that was going to be that. But then as I was reading it, I was like, well, we should, like, read some other shit to get some kind of, like, perspective on it. And there's like a whole bunch of, um, you know, like I have an undergraduate degree in English literature, so I think I know what I'm talking about when I say <laughs> that there's a bunch of uh, well, here, shit how about that this? he's talking about in there. No, 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 no. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, how about this? How about you get your, you get your notes together and we'll take a short break while you get your notes together because I feel like this is going to be a long endeavor. It is, uh, no, I'm the last thing that I have to get here is our online facebook messenger convo well i still would like to take a, sh- a short break while you do that okay all right um how long of a break i'm just gonna smoke a cigarette i'll be back in a while you, while you get yeah yeah slime wire choose your own adventure I just wanted to get a cigarette in because I know that this is going to be a long segment. Um, 
first off, I would <laughs> first off, I would like to say that it have to be. Well, it will be. Of all the fucking vaporwave podcasts <laughs> out there, I know your fucking names. We're the only ones talking about the political philosophical theory behind vaporwave. We're the only ones reading these books that have vaporwave in the fucking name. So yeah. think about yeah. that next time you're trying to pick your favorite vaporwave podcast. You're right. You're right. This uh, <clears throat> we're really covering all aspects of the vaporwave scene here. Even though we um, spent 40 minutes talking about police brutality, we're, we're still still giving you the best vaporwave content. Oh, absolutely. And I think that after this uh, <clears throat> uh, series of segments is over, you'll see why the political segment of our show has such uh, intimate connections with vaporwave as a movement. Yes. Uh, so, but yes. Okay. So. Go uh, on. Yeah, so we were originally going to do a hard vapor thing. We were going to talk about hard vapor. It was going to be a whole long-ass thing. But then there was too much shit to talk about. And it would have taken the whole episode. And it would have been like a four-hour episode. So to that end, uh, I've divided this segment into at least three separate chunks that we will get to when we get to them. Yes. Um, but I did lay it out that basically like, this first thing that we're doing here is part of a larger thing. So like it was, for me, it was conceived as trying to make, trying to look at like philosophical writing and culture writing on Vaporwave that other people have done and trying to update it to kind of take into account like new genres uh, that are of Vaporwave and are related to Vaporwave. Um, so, because, like, a lot of that, like, the book we read, Babbling Corpse, uh, is, you know, really about um, kind of, like, OG vaporwave and, like, this post-ironic vaporwave that started in 2011, and there's been so much different shit that's happened since then. Uh, so I want, so, like, we're only going to get to today the kind of general theory of vaporwave that's been put forward by, uh, like, specifically... Um, this guy Grafton Tanner, and then uh, like more generally, like you know Mark Fisher and like all these people have talked about these similar ideas, right? Yeah. Um, so like today we're just gonna get through kind of a general summary of that and uh, maybe a little bit of a critique of that, and where we leave off today will lead. It'll function as its own thing, but it will lead into a uh, talk about hard vapor next time. So we're doing a little bit of legwork today, and then okay. that will bear fruit next time. Um, so today, uh, we read the Grafton Tanner book, Babbling Corpse, Vaporwave, and the, what's the, what's the subtitle? Commodification of Ghosts. Commodification of Ghosts. Yes, it's really one of the only uh, books out there that is explicitly about Vaporwave, although it has a lot of, uh, takes a lot of ideas from, uh, authors who've been writing about like postmodern art for a long time, specifically Mark Fisher, like Mark Fisher and uh, Terry Eagleton, who was like a, uh, like a hardcore Marxist uh, philosopher. He's like one of the last, like really, like he's just a Marxist philosopher. That's what he is, you know? Most people are like, most people that are writing today about like uh, cultural studies kind of bite off Marxism in some way but Terry Eagleton is like, you know, that actual guy. But uh, so today we read Babbling Corpse and we're gonna pay specific attention to chapter one of Babbling Corpse called Spectral Presence, Vaporwave and the Uncanny. 
Uh -huh. um, and just because of that title alone, I thought that in uh, addition to that, we could read uh, Sigmund Freud's The Uncanny, because um, it will hopefully shed a little bit of light and a little bit of like uh, context for this idea of the uncanny, which I think is very useful in uh, like thinking about vaporwave, and which is kind of bandied about without maybe having like a precise definition of what it really is. Um, and so, yeah. So uh, for starters, I wanted to ask, uh, did you read chapter one of Babbling Corpse? And uh, what did you think, Morgan? Um, yes, I did read chapter one of Babbling Corpse. And uh, I also read Sigmund Freud's The Uncanny. Um, Very nice. From what I understood about The Uncanny, um, The Uncanny is an idea of something that is both familiar yet unfamiliar, something that is unsettling yet uh, warm and nostalgic. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Vaporwave, of course, fits this bill like to a T because Vaporwave music is, it's like uh, Schrodinger's music. It's that it's, un, it's uh, unsettling at the same time that it is comforting, right? Yeah, yeah. It takes something that is uh, kind of comforting and uh, familiar to us. That is to say, like radio pop music, uh, like stupid, like elevator music and mall music, and uh, warps it and kind of artificially gives it this uncanny, kind of spooky, creepy uh, aesthetic to it, right? Yeah, through the um, use of um, uh, uh, record players and samplers and DAWs and altering the music in a specific way. And I think that's based, like, the heart of what the first chapter was sort of trying to get into that the sampler is the extension yeah. of the record player and the DAW yeah. is the extension of the sampler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like his basic thing is he is talking about this, like uh, <clears throat> the uncanny is revealed in not just vaporwave, but like any kind of like technology that is supposed to be like media technology that is supposed to be delivering you a, an experience that you're supposed to take is like unmediated, right? So you're supposed to, like when you listen to a record on a record player, you're not supposed to think about the fact that it is a record that is being played on a record player and not those actually, you're, you're supposed to just be like, oh, this, this is really good. You're supposed to kind of uh, sort of drown out the fact or disavow the fact that you are really listening to like vibrations that are recorded on a needle that are then filtered through a giant speaker system. Yeah, a piece um, of technology. Yeah, yeah, so it's like you're listening to this music and you're supposed to think, not supposed to think about the mediation that is going between you and the actual, like, when the music was actually created. Uh, and what, like, little glitches, like little ghosts in the machine do is they, like, call attention to that mediatedness of what you're listening to and bring out this sort of unfamiliarity that lies behind the surface of something that is that makes sense for you, you know, like something that you don't really think about, uh, but is always there. Um, so it's really like, so I, to me, I think there's something important about it being like, uh, it's not just like familiarity and unfamiliarity, it's like, you're familiar with this thing, but inherent, like you're familiar with the new Madonna album, right? Yeah. You're familiar with it in the sense that you like, listen to it and you don't really think about how you're listening to it or what goes into producing it. Uh, but like at all times, it is highly mediated and foreign to you because it is being 
transmuted to you through a very strange machine process, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so these like glitches in the system highlight that uncanniness of uh, like technological media uh, conveyance of like art, right? And vaporwave is basically artificially creating these little glitches. That's I think sort of what I gathered from this is that like vaporwave is artists that are consciously creating this effect um, to draw attention to the the media nature of like the product that you're listening to. So when you take a Michael Jackson sample and slow it down and just put it on repeat for five minutes, it is calling attention to this fact that like the original recording itself was already like mediated. There's something to just recorded music in general that is uh, that is uncanny, right? Yes. So so I think that that um, so that definition that you were using of the uncanny, and also that uh, they that the author uses in this book, um, is probably the definition that is most convenient for like an analysis of vaporwave through this concept of the uncanny. It's also probably like what most people think of when they hear the word uncanny and it's kind of the natural definition of it. But what I thought was really interesting and why I wanted to read the Sigmund Freud piece in relation to this chapter was um, that he uh, actually uh, mentions Sigmund Freud in the chapter. Um, he says, uh, or he mentioned Sigmund Freud in the context of an author named Helene Sissou. Sissou, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who was a like a French post-Lacanian psychoanalytic like uh, media theorist, right? So I'm not going to go into that shit because it's like way more complex and crazy. And it's like when you think of like obscure like French people talking about philosophy, she's like you know fits that bill. So I'm not going to go into uh, her whole thing, but she talks, he talks about Sigmund Freud's notion of the uncanny, the species of the frightening that goes back to what was once well known and had long been familiar. Um, and I think it's just interesting that he mentions this. And it's always interesting to me when somebody like mentions, when somebody in their writing mentions a Freudian concept and then doesn't uses the concept in like a totally non in like not the way that Freud meant it. And it's especially interesting here, right? Because when we read the uncanny, like Sigmund Freud wrote that whole paper in response to another guy's theory of the uncanny named Ernst Gensch. Ernst Gensch himself was talking about a, a crazy name. Yeah, Ernst Gensch. Yeah, it's a cool name. Um, but that's his theory of what the uncanny is. Um, and Ernst Gensch was a psych—he wasn't a psychoanalyst. He was a psychologist, but he was writing about like psychological phenomenon, and so he was talking about the uncanny. And Ernst Gensch talks about how the uncanny is this blend of something that is familiar with something that is unfamiliar, and he talks about it specifically within the context of this story. Uh, called the Sandman, right? Okay. And so, like Ernst Gensch, what Ernst Gensch is talking about there, it, he says that you read this story called the Sandman, and it's a scary story that was written in Germany. I haven't read it. I don't really like. I've read a synopsis of what it is on the internet, but I don't know. I haven't read it. Um, but it's a story 
a scary story about a little kid who his mom tells him about the Sandman. He's this creepy guy who punishes little boys who don't go to bed at night um, by taking out their eyes and then feeding their eyes to his children. <clears throat> and so the little boy becomes super, and uh, he goes downstairs one night and looks at his spies on his dad having this conversation with this doctor uh, who is an eye doctor. And uh, this little boy is young and naive, and he's like, oh shit, that, little, that eye doctor is the Sandman. And he gets, he gets found out by his dad and the doctor, and the doctor takes some like coals out of the fire and tries to fucking like put him in this kid's eyes. And he's scared. And then he becomes an adult and uh, sees another guy that, is, uh, that reminds him of that time. And this other guy has this, this lifelike doll in his house. And uh, he, the young boy spies on this guy again using like a, like a little like uh, pair of binoculars, like a okay. spying a looking glass. <clears throat> and he sees this exchange where this doll's eyes are actually like a real person's eyes. And he's all scared, right? And then later, at the end of the book, he has a, he's recovered, he's recovered from his like insanity, and he's going to marry this girl. And then like just on a whim, he goes up in his tower, and he looks through his little looking glass, and he sees who he thinks is that same guy, the doctor from his childhood, he goes crazy and he jumps off the tower, right? So Ernst Gensch says that what is uncanny in that story is the, the doll, right? The doll that looks like a real person. Okay. And seeing that doll is what drives him crazy because the doll looks human, but actually it is not human. So it's like the same idea of the uncanny that we are used to hearing about with like the uncanny valley, right? Um, and so, like, that's what Ernst, Ernst Gensch says, that that is what the uncanny is. Um, and Sigmund Freud basically says, like, that is not enough to explain this strong feeling of uncanniness that we get, right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> and the strong feeling of uncanniness that we get from the story is actually uh, caused by the Sandman himself. Um, and this strong feeling of uncanniness that we get is the comes from the narrator's repressed uh, terror of castration that he feels at the beginning of the book, right? Um, and the thing that always triggers this kind of terrifying feeling in the narrator or in the main protagonist of the book is uh, is not the is not the doll it's this recurring theme of eyes. So like in the first thing, the Sandman takes out your eyes and later he sees uh, uh, this eye doctor and he spies on the eye doctor through a looking glass. Okay. And then later he sees the other guy through a looking glass. So this, there's this recurring theme of eyes that always triggers the protagonist's like bouts of insanity, right? Um, so Sigmund Freud basically says, that the uncanny, when we see something that's uncanny, we, it's not just that the, it's a contrast between something that is familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. It's that like 
the familiarity itself, that feeling of familiarity comes from a repressed emotion that we had in childhood that we have to disavow in order to live our lives in a... Uh, in order to defeat the uncanny? No, 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 no. Just in order to, like, be sane, right? So, like, that's a very, like, very basic, like, Freudian idea is that, like, when you're a kid, you have you have urges and you have desires that you have to, like, your brain has to repress them or basically forget about them in order for you to enter society and live a normal life. So, like, the classic example is that you want to bang your mom, but you can't bang your mom, right? You just can't do it. You're not allowed. So... Yeah, you eventually realize this, but this fact that you wanted to bang your mom at some point, you can't allow yourself to know that about yourself, or else you would go totally insane. Because it's just a, it's just not a desire that you can like admit that your self image of yourself can admit to ever having like had ever. So you have to repress it. But repressed things always come out in other ways. So Freud's basic idea is that, like, when you see, like, a picture of, like, like a classic uncanny thing would be, like, uh, a doll from your childhood in the attic that has, like, dust on it now or its eye fell out or something, and it looks really creepy, and then, like, it turns its head to face you. Um, you know, that that is, like, a, an, uh, an example that I just made up, but I think represents the idea of the uncanny pretty well. Okay. And what that's representing is, this feeling of familiarity that you have for like a doll or your childhood home plus time it like equals this realization. It, it, you're realizing that that familiar feeling itself is a desire that you once had as a kid that you had to repress, right? Okay. So you feel the uncanny not merely in the difference between familiarity and unfamiliarity, but you feel it in like the the full the realization that familiarity, this feeling of familiarity, is just one is just a small part of a larger desire that you once had, but you now have to repress, right? Yeah. Are you aware of it or is it subconscious? It's unconscious, but the remnant of it remains in your nostalgia, right? Okay. So like yeah, yeah. if you read that, if you read that in The Uncanny, Sigmund Freud talks about how uh, he mentions like, oh, whenever, uh, whenever somebody feels nostalgic for like their hometown or something and says like, ah, man, I wish I could go back to my hometown. That is like a, <laughs> you know, this is a strong hypothesis of Sigmund Freud that like most people that still uh, read Sigmund Freud and value like Freudian thought, um, you kind of have to like have a softer version of Freud. But Freud basically says like anytime you have nostalgia for something, that's your subconscious desire to uh, go back into your mom's vagina because you had a really nice time in your mom's vagina and it was really like comfortable and it was cool to live in there, right? Yeah, that's kind of like the 1918 like cocaine addict Freud coming out, you know. Yeah. But what he's saying, that nostalgia, you don't recognize it because once again, you cannot, your psyche cannot handle the idea that you're that you ever desired that that you have ever desired wanting to go back into your mom's vagina, but you still do 
desire it. You can repress it, but it won't actually go away. It comes back in the form of nostalgia. So um, that is what, that is the key like difference between the, like the idea of the uncanny as merely a sort of contrast between familiarity and unfamiliarity and the Freudian idea of the uncanny, which is this feeling of horror at something, at, at familiarity itself, at like the truth of this comfy, nice, fuzzy feeling that you get when you look at your old family photos or you look at your, you go back to your parents' house after a long time, or you look at like your fun little like childhood toy. Okay. Um, yeah, so like representations of that tend to, represent, representations of that feeling will take a familiar object and like make it all, make it spooky, right? So that's why like uh, a lot of common horror tropes are like, you know, uh, like you walk into an old house and there's like a record player that is uh, playing like a really old song, but the record starts scratching and repeating. And that is really, that's like a really spooky effect, right? Or uh, yeah, like your childhood doll uh, you see it and it is now missing like an eye and uh, has all like patches covering it and uh, it moves or something. Yeah. That is, yeah, 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 yeah. So that contrast between a comforting familiar thing and something spooky about it, that's how the uncanny is represented in art, right? Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, okay. So that is basically... Uh, what I find like interesting and kind of what makes me think that there's sort of an insufficiency in uh, the use, like the use of the uncanny in babbling corpse. To describe vaporwave. Yeah, exactly. Because you're using this idea of the uncanny and especially when you like mention Freud's idea of the uncanny and then proceed to not use it the right way, that is like a, that calls attention to a, a sort of like a lapse or something that went unthought in your critique or in your theory. Um, and I think that that idea of the uncanny as like, as not just a contrast between familiarity, familiarity and unfamiliarity, but the terror of familiarity itself is important because it's you can use the sort of naive concept of the uncanny to make like artistic critiques or societal critiques but those critiques usually miss something which is that like art objects have like a when an art object has an a sufficient uh effect on a on an observer it's not just because they are intellectually contemplating like the themes that the art object presents. It's that they're actually moved in some way because the art object is reflecting their psychological reality, right? Um, so yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, was there anything that you had to, was there anything you were confused by or that you had to say about the uh, Sigmund Freud thing piece that we read? Um, no, I think I just didn't really get it. <laughs> I think you, uh, 
I sort of only understood it in that base way that you uh, showed wasn't wasn't the case. <laughs> so I'm feeling very stupid right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that was. Uh, yeah. I. Um, here, let me just like collect my, uh, my thoughts here. Um, in the uh, babbling corpse book, I thought the um, comparison from vaporwave to the uh, the clown was very interesting. The idea that it's funny, but yet also scary at the same time. Did you read that part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me just bring that up here. Um, you mean the clown from It? Uh, I think, well, yeah, but he was also just talking about the clown archetype, like the clown clowns itself. Yeah, clowns. Um, clowns are inherently <laughs> funny, but if you add, like, uh, they're also inherently scary. So if a clown, like, is smiling, but you can't see its teeth, it's funny. But then if it shows its teeth and they're, like, razor sharp, it's scary. And yeah, you know, yeah. people can love clowns and also have terrifying nightmares about them, which, you know, a lot of vaporwave is funny. And a lot of vaporwave is also very eerie and unsettling. Yeah, so I, yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find where he talks about that. I think it was chapter three. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, here, just a second. Uh, let me start. But so this, so you wanted to go into like a critique of Babbling Corpse like in itself okay. about yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm just trying to find this. Um, to you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, so this, uh, this sort of naive idea of the uncanny is, like, convenient in uh, analyzing vaporwave, but it's not, it lacks, like, the depth of the Freudian idea of the uncanny. Um, and I think that like when you just talk about the uncanny as being something that is spooky because it makes it m makes like a familiar object look unfamiliar, um, you're missing the the sort of the relationship between the subject viewing an art piece and the art piece. When you're just talking about the art piece. Uh, uh, you're you're missing something, and a lot of times you're purposely missing that because you there's something that you yourself are repressing. So that I think that there is in order to make this argument that or to you know describe vaporwave in this way that it's it reveals the uncanny performativeness and mediatedness of uh, of music under capitalism right like it shows the creepiness and the like fakeness of capitalist art yeah a is... lot of the original um like i've heard in a lot of vaporwave discussion about early vaporwave albums was it was about taking sort of soulless you know like elevator music or music from commercials or employee training videos and using the techniques that make it eerie and unsettling to sort of expose the uh corporatality of it you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To ex to expose like the artificiality of it. Yeah. Um, but I think so that there like you have to think about like why is it specifically like why should that create why should like a why does it seem natural for us to criticize capitalist consumerist society in that way? 
when there are many other types of uh, <clears throat> critiques of capitalist and consumerist society. So that was like one of the things that we were talking about is like, why is like in the fucking 1700s when uh, people were criticizing the feudal system of that time, they weren't like talking about like how uh, creepy and like uncanny and strange everything is. Yeah. Um, they weren't like laid back. They were like, you know, all that shit is about like if you read like um, revolutionary uh, fiction from that time. It's like, you know, it's just about people deciding to go join the revolution and kill the, the Lord, you know? Um, so like, why is it that like in our time, this is how, this is how, capitalist society is like organically critiqued and i would say vaporwave is really like a very organic uh like natural um capitalist critique that kind of comes like most people start making vaporwave you know definitely aren't like fucking like marxist phd people you know uh they're just regular dudes but it seems like a really natural uh critique critique of capitalism but why is it that this is how we critique capitalism. Okay, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's because, because deep inside our repressed desire is to go back to our childhood capitalist utopian selves and yes, yes. jack ourselves off over Nintendo and Pokemon. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. I totally lost my uh, <laughs> train of thought there. But um, I get yeah, it. Uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah, so that's what it is. So like that feeling when you listen to the slowed down Michael Jackson sample that's like not cut well and has a little clip in it. It reminds you of the commercial feeling, that you used to love. Exactly. You're, you're listening to a Michael it's Jackson song that you listen to as a kid. But a celebration. It's a critique of capitalism that is, I think it is a critique of capitalism in a way, but like if you only analyze Vaporwave on the level that, uh, uh, the author of this book, whose name I'm constantly forgetting, Grafton Tanner, Grafton Tanner, does, then you are kind of missing the point. And the reason that you're, you're missing like a deeper point. And there's a, there's a shitty reason that you're missing that point. You're kind of, you're not conscious of this, but you're missing it on purpose because ultimately Grafton Tanner needs to remain this kind of hipster, blah, blah, blah. Like he, in order for Grafton Tanner to make this critique, he needs to not really realize what this is doing, what he is feeling, why he is feeling this uncanny effect of vaporwave. Um, and so I think that the, so that is kind of like, that is every vaporwave enthusiast and listener, right? Like in order for you to have the identity of somebody who makes or listens to vaporwave music and through that feels like they are critiquing capitalism and poking holes in the um the narrative of like cap capitalist life it's like you need you need to not recognize that you are actually feeling a nostalgia boner for uh for your past right yeah um yeah so that's like it's basically a case of you're not able you're not able to you cannot return to that capitalist lifestyle that you used to live because you didn't major in engineering 
Um, so you'll never have a really like a high salary job. But also, you can't just own up and suck it up and go into the mountains and join a communist cell uh, because you, you know, that's just not going to happen. So this is kind of, it is a mediation that allows you to maintain your identity, right? Um, really sad. Yeah, it's real sad. So I think that that is, so in that sense, we talk a lot, or like that vaporwave is often talked about as a critique of capitalism, but, and it is a critique of capitalism because it does show this, this mediated nature of capitalist art, that it's constantly, that it's never real, that you're always listening to it through some kind of machine. It's produced by machines. It's, there's no, no base reality that you can look at it through. So it does provide that critique, but you also need to acknowledge that what you really feel about when you feel that feeling of spookiness, what you're feeling is the full effect. You're feeling the nostalgia, but also what that nostalgia represents that you don't want to feel, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> you're feeling- Jesus. Yeah, you're feeling that nostalgia for like the, for your past of going to Chuck E. Cheese and buying Transformer dolls. Um, but the creepiness aspect of it comes from the fact that you are, we are all repressing our desire to our love of capitalism, our hidden love of a past that we can never return to, um, that we can never get back, but that we also cannot completely uh, disavow or completely escape. So we have to repress it. Right. Um, so that is, I think, that is why uh, the Grafton Tanner's critique of Vaporwave falls short. And it is also why Vaporwave as a critique of capitalism ultimately falls short. Right. Yeah. Did you read the part um, where he was talking about how uh, Vaporwave artists like that are cr like, creating a celebratory nostalgic uh, past through their music. Um, there's sort of this idea that you, like, you can't go back into the past because by virtue of creating these pieces of art that uh, like go in and fuck it up and transform it, that we've, we've already gone into the past and destroyed it. And so we can't, <laughs> specifically pre 9-11 past, which is what I think the, the big like vaporwave, the big moments where real life turned into vaporwave is 9-11. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the big one, and then the, the second, slightly smaller one is the 2008 housing crisis. But um, yeah, yeah. So you can't because there's already been so much art that uh, already like distorts your perception of those events and of that time. And because like you can't make like a like a 1980s action movie anymore because you've already made parodies of 1980s action movies. And so to do one like completely like with your full heart would only appear as like a parody of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think that's um <clears throat> yeah, so like I, I think that uh Babylon Corpse starts off with a kind of like functional description of Vaporwave and like what's happening when you listen to Vaporwave. And then what I got from it was like chapters two and three, like you know, he talks about this uh like when we feel when when there's a glitch in the system of a like device that 
transfers media to us. Um, it seems as if there is like some kind of unknown force that is intentionally manipulating that thing, right? Uh, let me see if I can find the. Uh, um, yeah, it's so it's like. How did you get this book, by the way? Did you get it on Kindle? Because I have a paper copy, and it took a. But you had the book immediately. Oh yeah, I just got it. On, it was five bucks. Oh nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he talks about. Um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Yeah, so. Uh, I'm listening to Phil Collins lately, bro. Nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so he talks about there's an alien intelligence uh, that is at work that we think of as being at work between like when uh like record players tvs ipods glitch out and stop working it sounds like there's some something that's like manipulating it intentionally rather than being a uh, product of just a simple like mistake and so i think that like the next two chapters of babylon corpse go into like what is that what like we think that there's some kind of uh intentional agent manipulating are the media when this happens uh so like what what could that be like what cultural force do we think that is um and so like the next chapter he talks about like graham Harmon and object-oriented ontology uh which is like a totally crazy like philosophical uh group of people um who are inspired by like deleuze and other uh weird french postmodernists philosophers and then after that he talks about specters of marx and so i think those first three chapters are about him trying to find out like what is the ghost in the machine right like yeah. what is the force at work um and then uh when you were talking about that like that idea that you can't make authentic 80s music or television or movies anymore because if you did we've already created a cultural context where that would be seen in like a different way than it was originally you know um, so like if you tried to make Predator today, you could not possibly make it because there have already been so many of those movies and then parodies of those movies that you could only make a movie that is like an homage to that original movie, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that is talking more about like the, like the postmodern, uh, condition of, uh, culture in capitalism, like, and it's a little bit different, like what I was more interested in in Babylon Corpse was his like, like when you listen to Vaporwave, what is the experience? Like how does the form of Vaporwave like cause that experience to happen with you, you know? Um, and the last half of the book, I thought it was like, it was a lot of stuff that I feel like I've read before in like cultural uh, theory and criticism type books, you know? Just stuff about like, yeah, like, how postmodernism is uh, has no present of its own, but constantly has to like plunder ideas of the past, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think that like there is uh, in that idea, like of the the fact that we don't acknowledge we aren't ready to face uh, that feeling of uncanniness that we feel in ourselves when you listen to Vaporwave. Uh, 
and not acknowledge that it is a an unconscious uh, love of the very thing that we're claiming to hate and deprecate. Uh-huh. Uh, that is, so that is where vaporwave uh, fails to properly critique capitalism because it does not take into account the irreducible relationship between the subject um, and the cultural object which is being viewed. Uh, uh, And yeah, so yeah, that's where I think that like this, A, the theory of like vaporwave that people have talked about up till this point fails. And I think it's also where that early idea of vaporwave as an ironic winking critique of capitalism fails as well. Because that ironic critique of capitalism itself is allowing you to continue to exist within the capitalist world without having to dismantle it or alternatively try to fit into it, you know? It's allowing you to remain. And like, I think that attains to like all, you know, to a lot of uh, nostalgic art and also like uh, political art in general. Like the very like viewing of political art in a lot of cases uh, gives you some kind of catharsis that allows you to continue living within a capitalist society. Um, So yeah. All right, do you wanna give like a short, like how maybe what we're gonna talk about next time and how this might bridge into that, just a short little glimpse. Yeah, yeah, okay, so we're gonna do a sneak peek. Yeah, so uh, I've tried as best I could, and I uh, uh, will try again to uh, kind of like just get a grasp on like one aspect of something that's really common in like vaporwave theory um, in this episode. And I've tried to uh, uh, give an example of how it might fail. Uh, and so next episode, I'm going to try to talk about uh, hard vapor in relation to Jacques Derrida's Spectres of Marx. And if you thought that this was confusing, uh, you, you don't know you don't know nothing yet because Spectres You're of Marx. We're in for a wild ride. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, really difficult, but I think that. Um, Hard vapor, in contrast to being a sort of negative critique of capitalist art, where old school vaporwave is about taking a piece of capitalist art and showing the negative aspects of it, the the conditions in which it's made. Um, hard vapor is not that. It's not just taking old capitalist music and slowing it down and recontextualizing it. It's sort of imagining a different world of uh, electronic music and of like vape. It's that communist aesthetic that is in hard vapor is like an alternative answer to some of the problems that we were discussing here today. So yeah. All right, well, for for the next episode, I wanna give our listeners a little homework to get yourselves into the hard vapor frame of mind. I'm gonna request that you go on to the good old Dream Catalog Bandcamp, and you look up the album End of World Rave by Was X, and yes, you look up yes. the album Vaporwave is Dead by Sandheim. 
and that'll give you a, a, a pretty good uh, introduction into the sound of hard vapor and what hard vapor is all about, because it is at once a subgenre of vaporwave, but it is also the antithesis of vaporwave. Yes, I think yeah. that puts it very well. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. So that's that. Uh, that was that. That was theory science. Ek Man Sensei, episode one. Yes. All right. Class well, is adjourned. <laughs> do you want to take a short break and then we'll enter our the culture portion of the, the culture the portion? Do you think we can take like a fifteen or twenty minute break? I want to run to the store real quick. Yeah, oh yeah, that's fine. Definitely. I'm just gonna leave it running. Okay. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, you're fine. All right. All right. We'll okay, I'll be right back. Slime Water. Choose your own adventure. All right, and we are back. We have uh, we've taken some time to settle ourselves down after that deep dive into vaporwave philosophical theory, but don't check out yet because we have one of the most interesting cultural portions of the show so far where we are going to review the brand new mesh dream sequence movie the very first vaporwave feature film wow the very first Can't believe and um this this movie is available on youtube the creator is a vaporwave producer named maggie.wave they provided all the visuals mesh provided all the instrument the all the, the audio with his album dream sequence from 2014 um i'll put a link to it yeah. in the show description but uh, yeah, this is really a really seminal. I'm really glad that this came out before the Vaporwave documentary. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad yeah. That this uh, is the first to... Vaporwave movie. Is it really the first Vaporwave movie though? Because don't I mean you can't leave out that uh, Christ compilation, right? That was only like 40 minutes. There has been Vaporwave VHSs that have been released. Most of them clock in at about album length, like 40 minutes. This is a fucking 80 minutes long feature film. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. This is the first full vaporwave documentary. It's not a documentary, but it is the first vaporwave. <laughs> it might as well be a documentary. It might as well be. It's a document of uh, my feelings when I uh, listen to vaporwave. Um, for, yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, first off, it's a it's the mesh mesh's famous album Dream Sequence from 2014. It's one of the yeah. biggest vaporwave albums of all time. It's probably besides I'll Try Living Like This by DDS. It's probably my favorite vaporwave album ever. Sure. And uh, yeah, so I was immediately going to love it, but I still do have some critiques and I'm interested to hear what you thought of it because I know yes. you, you aren't as big of a fan of Mesh as I am. It's not that I'm uh, not a big fan of Mesh. It's just that I like, when I heard that he was making a movie, my first thought was, God, I hope this isn't just a collage of various like 80s uh, pop culture trash like shit, you know? <clears throat> uh, like, I hope this isn't just like what exactly what I expect it's gonna be. And then it was that, uh, but I well, knew that that's what it was going to be. Yeah, that's right? my, so my question to you is what, what else could you possibly expect you know, <laughs> from a vaporwave movie? Well, like, you know, uh, if I were designing my, like, perfect vaporwave movie, it would be an anime. Uh, it would be created <laughs> by, like, uh, Studio Trigger, and it would be, like, yeah, yeah, it would be a cyberpunk anime. Uh, that would be all hand drawn and like done in like a classic '90s style, uh, but I know I knew I knew not to expect that. So like you know, at first I was like, okay, you know, I was pretty skeptical and wary going into it, but um, I didn't hate it. Uh, I, well, okay, I actually enjoyed it. Like record, I enjoyed watching it. For the record, it is not just 
it is for the record it is not just 80s advertisements with vhs static superimposed over it there's a lot more going on here there but, is yeah, a twist. but that that is a part yes, of it yes yeah. there is there is much more going on yes there is so there is more going on i would say that like the editing uh impressed me more than i thought it was going to and i really what i really enjoyed was like i think they had this ethos of like every uh sample that is being played is going to get a visual representation right so like yeah. there's oftentimes parts where there's like superimposed like so it's like one thing is playing but then another thing will like flash in the background and it all syncs up with the samples and i'm pretty sure like most of those like most of those videos are just things that Namesh samples to make that album. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, like, yeah, so I really liked that, like, is it, like if there was a mix that had like four samples from different things, you would see each of those like video clips being played at the same time. Uh, and yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, I liked the, uh, like, so I didn't really, dis I could not, discern a strong plot line going through the thing but i really liked like i thought that a lot of especially towards the earlier part of the movie uh a lot of the tape collages like really uh reflected the music well you know yeah uh, especially that like uh um the avon one oh you know? yeah that one's so good that was really, really good. That was a highlight because I didn't realize that that was she, what she was saying. I mean, I've only ever, I listened to that album through once or twice when I was in Japan last time. But I would like, I've occasionally like listened to singles off of it. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that they were saying Avon, Avon, Avon. Yeah, um, I mean, this is sort of a thing, Mesh, like this is, uh, it points to like Mesh's uh, ability as a producer and as a uh, like sort of a grant, like he created Dream Sequence, like, Let's not forget that Dream Sequence came out in 2014. This is very early in the Vaporwave scene. And Mesh's whole conceit when he was making this album was that he was making a Vaporwave album that was also something bigger and something more than what Vaporwave yeah. was. And by sampling uh, fucking commercials for Avon, Avon was one of the very first like pyramid schemes. And he did that yeah. very intentionally. And he's done things like that before, like in his most recent album, Pharma, he has like a bunch of samples of this particular infomercial guy that ended up like getting involved in some intense legal disputes and then he ended up killing himself. And yeah. so like there's a, it's n like Mesh is like always looking towards like it, the music is good, but there are ideas behind the music as well that are yeah. interesting. Yeah. That was something that like a lot of these, it I had the same effect on me as like when you go online to like uh, <clears throat> research all the samples that somebody that like Jay Dilla used or something where it's sort of like, it makes you a really appreciate the artistic like ability of people that are uh making sample based music because like once you like realize what they're sampling from you're like oh my god like you took that and turned it into a totally different thing that's so crazy um and it also i mean it also like kind of demystifies it for you a little bit which i don't know if i like but um yeah uh watching this like really made me realize how experimental and crazy this album is like yeah it's so nuts. usually yeah like i i mean i think that you're a lot more receptive to ambient music than i am um yeah. so like most of the time when there is like unless it's like really good i'm tuning out if it's just like some experimental like uh noises you know 
Um, I love that shit. Like, if that's all it is, if that's all it is, and it's like, I really like it. Like, I like listening to it, but I can't listen to it over an extended period because I'm just going to be like, I wonder what's on my phone, what's going to happen later on tonight. I just tune out. But having the, like, visuals there forces you to, like, pay attention to it a little bit. And it's, yeah, it's fucking, like, the last, like, 30 minutes of that album are just, like, cosmic waves, you know? Um, Yeah, Mesh always has, like, a really good way of, like, cycling in, like, like, it's not even the last 30 minutes. There will be these weird ambient patches in, like, the beginning parts of the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, like, he cycles between these, like, obvious vaporwave tropes of, like, slowing down pop songs, slowing down, like, Billy Idol or something with these, like, yeah, really droning, like, intense ambient pieces. And uh, so that's where, like, the arc of the the film, like, I think Mm. sort of rears its head during that, like, last, like, really ambient portion where they start showing you all of these, like, um war scenes and scenes of <laughs> yeah, the atomic yeah. bomb and like it gets really yeah. intense and depressing and yeah. I, yeah what were your thoughts about that no i i remember that uh there's like a part where it switches to like black and white it's all black and white and there's it's like pictures of like like a 1950s sports game and then like the hiroshima bombing yeah <laughs> it's like, shit yeah this is fucking and like i think that that yeah there towards the end, this sort of like video material that's presented, like that album to me sounds like if you were a naive vaporwave consumer, you'd say, oh, this is like a celebration of the analog age of 90s and 80s uh, music. And like, this is like a throwback to that time. But no, it's actually like, (laughs) yeah, it's like the fucking, it's about like the tragic history of like the latter half of the 20th century, you know? Yeah, like a fucking atomic bomb. It's really and hopeless. getting like Avon ads and shit. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's all that. There's like a right after the uh, right after the footage of the atomic bomb dropping happens. There's the scene from Neon Genesis Evangelion where all of the like souls are turned into like crosses and they go up into space. You probably haven't got there yet, but uh, oh shit, I the, forgot all about Neon like, Genesis. Yeah, shit, we had a whole thing going. Yeah, you gotta you gotta start that back up. I'll, I'll get back on it. Yeah, I totally forgot. That, but anyway yeah yeah uh yeah no it really like it's uh, yeah about like the cultural trauma of the world war and the brutality of like uh post-war american uh society (laughs) like that's really what it's about (laughs) later on the the thing i I have some critiques yeah no i think there's like a lot of go ahead well did did you like Uh, what were your critiques yeah yeah, so my general critique was, are we allowed to spoil this? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so spoilers ahead. Uh, Mesh, was that actually Mesh that was acting in that? No, that was the creator. That was the dude that did all the visuals. His name's Maggie.Wave. Okay. okay. he's a Vaporwave artist yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, he appears in the film. And that was my favorite. That's actually like my favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, okay. Like, I just thought that was really interesting. And I loved... Fucking, I loved the part where they have the Fantana review and he's like in a black like uh, room with just Anthony Fantano's head over him. And he's like looking up at Anthony Fantano critiquing <laughs> the album. Yeah, <laughs> so like on genius. this, Mesh ends this album. Like I said, this was made in 2014. It's like a vaporwave relic of time. And he, the yeah. last track on the album samples Anthony Fantano reviewing Floral Shock. <laughs> and it, he he, jump, he uses the audio from that, and he also uses a Paul stretched sample of the 420 song 
like just genius, <laughs> like really brilliant, brilliant stuff. But I actually yeah, yeah. wasn't that into the uh, the like filmed scenes of that guy. And my main uh, like critique of that was that I, I mean, granted, this guy doesn't have any lines and he's just sort of doing things, but and he's not a good actor. And I feel like. <laughs> like, I feel like they should have gotten somebody that like has had any like some training in like acting because it just felt like a dude that was like okay I'll just film this myself and didn't really think much no I kind of I kind of liked because I felt like the fact that he didn't know how to act made him seem more like out of place and like yeah, he doesn't know like he's just a guy that like he's just a guy that stumbled into a cosmic uh like clusterfuck of uh of radio waves that is that album and he's yeah. suddenly in like a different dimension because yeah he looks just confused and kind of yeah out of place the whole time i just felt like yeah, he could have really been, he could have been doing more with his body i'm just an acting snob and i felt like okay. know, they, they should have gotten a real actor but uh right i know i can accept that i would uh i can't argue with you there but other than that like yeah so i my main critique is just my main critique is of what it is you know, <laughs> like just a pastiche of various 80s songs. But of what, like out of all of those things that I've seen that are just clips of old media put together over a vaporwave thing, this is like the best one I've ever seen. So oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like, I don't appreciate, I don't respect this as an artistic project. Uh, but I do, <laughs> I do think that what it sets out to do it does better than anything I've seen of its kind. I mean, what about that Auschwitz shot, man? That's my biggest critique of the whole thing. I felt Where's like that, the Auschwitz shot? they showed, a, there was a shot in there that was a pile of fucking bodies from Auschwitz. Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah, no, okay, I, I didn't catch that, but uh, I might have been, I really made an effort to like get in the zone of watching it uh, because this is definitely the kind of movie where it's like, part of the experience is the trance-like state that it puts you in, I feel like. Yeah. Um, so I definitely, like, I turned off my phone, but I was writing down notes and stuff, uh, and I might have missed that. But yeah, if that's It was true, a quick shot, and I, I felt like it was not tasteful. Yeah. And yeah. the whole thing is, like, should. you can't, like, there's no way this guy just fucking put that in there without thinking about it. This guy thought yeah. long and hard about whether or not <laughs> he should include the Auschwitz shot, and he eventually finished... Yeah, and he finished his idea with being like, yeah, you know, I think it's fine. You know, I think that'll be really... And, like, no, don't don't show yeah. me a pile yeah. of dead Auschwitz bodies in your yeah, fucking yeah. vaporwave movie. There's, like, I mean, there's many people who say that, like, you should, we should never even talk about Auschwitz ever again. Like, we should never fucking, like... Yeah. Like, it's a very common Jewish thing to say, like, you can make fun of Hitler, you can't make fun of Auschwitz. Like, it's totally fucking taboo. So to put it in your vaporwave movie, yeah, not a good look. Not and good I get, look. like, the, the images of the bomb, like, okay, like, the atomic bomb, like, of, yes, it caused, like, ridiculous amounts of destruction, but it's, yeah. it's an aesthetic thing. It, like, serves an aesthetic, like, theatrical purpose. Yeah, but yeah. Just a, but just a picture of a pile of, a, a picture of a pile <clears throat> of real dead bodies, that's yeah. not, like, get, get that out, cut that out. There was no reason that should have made it into the final cut. Okay, so your problem was with the actual corpses. Like, yeah. you were just grossed out by the corpses. It's not that I was grossed out. It's not tasteful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I get that. 
Uh, there are people that are still that. alive. There are people that know nothing about Vaporwave, and that's their fucking grandparents, you know? <laughs> like, that's fucked up, dude. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty fucked up. But yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, like, I, my critiques were the Auschwitz shot and the bad acting. Besides that, I thought it was great. I loved the... Uh, it wasn't all 80s ads. Like, all those, like, shots of, like, clouds and stuff during, yeah, like, the more yeah. ambient portions were really beautiful. Like, really Yeah, beautiful. yeah. It was beautiful. I thought that uh, there's that scene... There's, like, a very prolonged jungle scene, and it's not this jungle scene where... I think it's just before they have the predator uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of going through, like, this forest, and it's, like, the music totally matches... And, uh, yeah, I thought that was really nice. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of the visuals in it were really, really beautiful. I just, like, um, I've just seen all of that before, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, so I think it's really beautiful. And, you know, I guess that's sort of, like, a critique I have of a lot of, like, art that's like this. And I think it's sort of, like, more hippie art and, like, uh, ambient art and stoner art is that like it's really beautiful like listening to like a drone uh, an ambient drone is really really beautiful and looking at a picture of like clouds slowly moving across the sky is really really beautiful but it's like eh, you know I've seen it before it's already been done and uh, yeah that's what I got to say about that but for what it was I liked it and I will say again I enjoyed watching it yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to watch it again. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, I'm not really in that space, like, socially right now. But yeah. if you were, like, hanging out with, like, a bunch of uh, stoners and you were like, oh, bro, let me put on, like, this trippy shit, bro. Uh, yeah, like, I don't that think it is. probably like, the first thing I would grab onto, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I can't imagine myself being in a situation where I'm hanging out with some people that I would want to share this with. Only if you're with some, like, real stoners, bro. And, like, and, like there's yeah. a guy tripping on acid, and you're all falling asleep, and you're like, let me put on some shit. It's gonna, it's gonna blow your mind, dude. It's gonna blow your mind, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the other thing that really, I really did reinforce for me was, like, how great that album is. That's the other thing I was Oh, saying. it calls so much yeah. attention to that album. It, like, compliments it so fucking Yeah. Well. And yeah. it really made it, like, I mean, I, I love... I'll Try Living Like This by DDS so much. It's yeah. my favorite, like, it's not only my favorite Vaporwave album, it's like my favorite album ever, you know? Yeah. And we could talk yeah. about it forever. But Dream oh, Sequence, yeah. Yeah. like, this movie really made me realize how far up Dream Sequence is in that list of, like, best Vaporwave album. It's so fucking intense. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really is. That thing that you were talking about, where, like, he has a great way of, like, like, having, like, a very basic, not basic, but like a standard vaporwave poppy part where it's like a slow down beat and you kind of jam to it and then like you don't really notice it happening but it transitions into a really like lynchian sound collage spacey type thing and like you yeah. don't even notice it you know and then you're like oh shit i don't even know when the beat dropped but now like it's this weird cloudy music and then it like shocks you back awake with like another uh like dancey part you know um yeah, so I thought that was really brought out that aspect of that album. All right, well, we don't really have anything else to review. Um, there is a new uh, Dream Catalog just started a new podcast. I advise everybody to go listen to it if you're a fan of a Dream Catalog. It's uh, good. So this is the only Vaporwave podcast I'm going to shout out. All the other oh, ones. I, I, wait, wait, wait. I listen go. to it. You listen, listen to it? it? Really? Yeah, I listen yeah. to it. You want to talk about it? Yeah, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was funny. I thought it was weird. I thought it was cool. I mean, I didn't really appreciate their uh, take on 100 Gex. 
Yeah. Um, well, I understand what they're coming from where they think that 100 Gex ripped them off. And I will say again that there is a particular 100 Gex song. I think it's a one, what, what's it called? 180,000 decibel oh, yeah, cloud. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the background of that song, there's literally a, a refrain that goes, flat, 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 flat. And it sounds like the dude sang flat. And if you listen to that song and you think about HKE's flat music, it totally makes sense. <laughs> Like their their vocals are different. They're not doing the same. They obviously don't have the same voice as HKE, but you yes. can tell that there might have been something that trickled down there. Yeah. And that's only like a yeah. little bit. That's only a little. Like they they're pe the beauty of a hundred decks is that they're taking from so many different weird places. And yeah. so it's not it's not like it's not impossible that they couldn't have heard. And they've been following HKE on Twitter for years. Like they oh, know about the catalog. Yeah, I just kind of like, I always, that, and then you like, you mentioned that they were like, they took credit for creating uh, online concerts, you know? Yeah, yeah, HKE is always like, yeah, talking himself up to a ridiculous degree. But I love that about him. I love his ego. Yeah. Oh no, I really liked the, like, uh, the contrast between the, between HKE and the other guy on there, because the other guy, the other guy seems like he's kind of a smarmy guy, you know. The other like guy's like he's a fucking moron. I hate the other guy. Yeah, I, he's not great, but he's like a normal guy, right? And then the HKE, yeah. like he just sounds like his personality, you know. He yeah, just definitely. sounds like a fucking dude who's just been shut up in his apartment for three months, and <laughs> is like sleepy, and is just like, oh yeah, man, I, oh, uh, like just super fucking like out of it you know yeah he's a uh, genius <laughs> yeah yeah he's a total uh yeah eccentric genius hk oh, like God. used to like i remember the first podcast i listened to where on where they interviewed hke and he was talking about how he like wakes up and he's awake for like 20 like 36 hours and then he like sleeps <laughs> for like 24 hours wakes up eats a big mac and is awake for like another 36 hours like he's just a total like artistic freak yeah. like he yeah. can only he's the type of dude that couldn't hold down a regular job fucking tried. <laughs> like it's a miracle that he stepped into like this vaporwave money you know yeah he would be living with his parents till he died yeah yeah um yeah so i liked uh hk's eccentric personality i thought uh you would probably find it interesting that they seem to really disavow the vaporwave name over there these days oh yeah they don't want anything to do with it because the yeah. whole vaporwave scene shuns them. Like, they all hate oh. him. But that's because HKE has always been real as fuck. What basically happened is back in the day when vaporwave was still really small, um, yeah. all the artists had like a private Facebook group. It was called the Vape Council, right? And HKE yeah. was really drunk one night and just started calling people out and shitting on them, like really <laughs> drunkenly in this vaporwave Facebook group. And then like, <laughs> The, the other thing was this was before he released like how many different aliases he had so people yeah. were like really mad at him and they were like shitting on him and being like oh well your music isn't even that good but then they were like oh but i fucking love this chessmaster album this is like my top five of the year and yeah, then yeah. shortly after that hp was like, like that that's was what <laughs> yeah all of those albums you said you loved that was me like i made all of that shit <laughs> that's fucking Savage. That's the most savage thing I've ever. He's heard based life. as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, like the most brutal thing you can do with somebody. 
That's like, yeah. something that could only happen in the vaporwave scene. Oh <laughs> yeah, you hate me, you despise me, you think I suck ass. I made this thing that changed your entire life. Yeah, <laughs> secretly, <laughs> secretly, because I didn't care, you know. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing that like basically, HKE is Dream Catalog. Yeah, it's he's the founder. Yeah. No, well, it's, he's the founder, but like, he made most of the original albums. He made yeah, most of those songs. Yeah, most of those albums. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I. Um, I thought that part where they were talking about uh, that guy that is making that album and how he, whenever he writes something, it comes true two or three years later. That was interesting. Yeah, when uh, that guy's album comes out, we're going to review it. It comes out September 1st. I'm actually oh, really totally. excited for it, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I liked the uh, the demo session where they're like reviewing people's demos. I thought it was yeah. interesting. So what did you think about this? You so you remember the demo that had all the piano parts in it? That was like, yes, yes. Like I thought it was lame, and uh, me too. The guy yeah. that I don't like, the guy besides HKE, Shima, Shima thirty three, was like, yeah. oh, I like this, and HKE was like, no, I don't really like this. And then they played one that was actually like really good, and was actually the like, one. yeah, that was really yeah. in tune with like Dream Catalog, and Shima was like, after fifteen seconds, he was like, oh, I'm done with this. And HK was like, yeah, no, yeah. I actually really like this. And it just, I remember, because like, I, I knew that you were going to uh, appreciate that because, yeah, because HK was like, oh, no, this is like Vaporwave. I like this. Yeah, it's so obvious that HK knows what he's talking about and that Shima fucking doesn't, basically. <laughs> Shima's now the yeah. general manager of Dream Catalog because HK is trying to phase himself out because he recently had a kid and he's like just trying to like get out, but still raking that, that cash, you know, that 2814 money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, can't blame the man. It's good money. Yeah, but um, I but in regards to that uh, demo section, I do really appreciate that they still have a really like sort of punk rock energy about them. That they're like, we yeah. don't care how many followers you have, we don't care who you've worked with. Like, we're just yeah, gonna listen yeah. to the song, and if it's good, we like it. If it's not, we don't like it. Like, and yeah, yeah, I I really liked that. Uh, yeah, the demos section. That's a cool idea for a section. I yeah. wish. You know, I wish I had a label. My original idea for SlimeWire, the Bandcamp page, was to make a label, but I ended up just making six albums on my own, so it never happened. But Damn. What are you going to do? Maybe I'll start a label soon. Um, start a label. I remember when you are going to start a label. Yeah, we'd have, I'd make a good label. Yeah. But um, anyway, so uh, do you have anything else about that podcast? No, I'm good. I'd say everybody should go listen to it. It's exclusive to Spotify, but it's called the SlimeWire Podcast. Um, there is no, it's, no, it's called the Dream Catalog Podcast. I'm sorry, but um, there was one thing that I wanted to touch on before we exit, and it's that um, DMT Tapes FL, which is a legendary vaporwave label, recently got hit with a copyright claim. Uh, the guy that runs DMT, his name's Vito, super fucking cool guy. I've worked with him. We put out an album together. Uh, DMT oh, Tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DMT yeah. Tapes is, like, instrumental into in breaking, like, new Vaporwave artists. Like, they're the yeah. first, like, they release, like, sometimes they release, like, an album every week. Sometimes they release, and like, two albums a week. Sometimes they release an album every day. They have almost 900 releases as of now. Um, they've broke new Vaporwave artists such as Dan Mason, like, 3D Blast, Waterfront Dining, Nano Shrine, like, huge fucking names. But so I just want to read this statement that uh, Vito put out where he said, 
I hate to come back with such awful news, but DMT Tapes FL is under threat of takedown. We have officially received our first Bandcamp infringement takedown, where an album was immediately removed from our page. Due to the nature of our work, I imagine they'll eventually ban us. This label will have its formal and final release very shortly in order to preserve our totality as a 900-piece Vaporwave label. If the DMT Tapes FL brand is continued, which I hope it is, it will be under a new outfit, URL, etc. The current page is not solid in the long term now. All 900 albums are going to be preserved, archived, and shared somewhere. It's going to take a little bit of effort from everybody involved in order for the Vaporwave genre to thrive into the future and still be known. Good luck to all those navigating these now treacherous waters. I'm going to bounce back. I'm not leaving music. If we have to hunker down and find a way to become a composition-based label so that the media conglomerates don't wipe their grubby, shit-infested hands onto the <laughs> livelihoods of civilian artists, so be it. Here's to adapting. And that's some fucking king shit, bro. That is king shit. Yeah, Vito's the fucking man right there. So Damn. everybody go support DMT Tapes FL. Donate them money if you want to. Um, download all their albums and archive them because it's really important really important that DMT Tapes uh, continues to be around. Shit, man. Yeah. Some dark well, shit. Yeah, um, yeah, we're all going to get hit with copyright infringement soon. Vaporwave could end any fucking day. But Damn. not not, uh, not if we have anything to say about it. We'll still be around. We'll still be kicking. Yeah. All right, well, I think that's a, about all. Do you have anything else, sir? I'm all good. All right. I'm tapped well, out. All right, sayonara. Sayonara. Avon. 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 Beauty like Avon. 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 Beauty like Avon.
I wish you was business tomorrow, mommy.